Set the Table, Episode 6, in which we are going to take a deeper dive into D&D 5th Edition. I am John, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jack. Hey, how's it going, eh? And if you are uh, an audio listener, don't worry about it. And if you are checking this out on YouTube, you'll notice that we are not in the video tonight. Uh, we have had some... Uh, different situations for this week and so um this is going to be an audio only episode uh but we're still here and we're going to talk more about role-playing games and how to make yours great and i assure you we are both fully clothed well you say that but there's no possible way to know i i have my my brown sport coat on i no i'm i'm clothed too Okay, good. Um, <laughs> uh, so last, since last time, uh, what have you played? So I was ill. Um, oh, oh no! And I missed my my Monday night game. So ill, you couldn't play D and D online. So ill, I could not play D and D online. Yeah, it just that's unfortunate. just sneezy and achy with a wicked bad headache, and um, I um we haven't talked about types of players, but I I tend to be kind of a method actor, and I didn't feel it was fair to my character to not be at my mental best, then she wouldn't be at her mental best, and and um where I had kind of left her off, she was going, she's a bard, she's gonna go perform in a speakeasy with a lot of dangerous people around. And I just didn't, I didn't want to do that to her. I didn't think that was fair. Man, that is a level of respect for a fictional character that I don't think most people would give, but I like it. I'm just weird like that. No, that's, uh, when we do get to talking more about players and, uh, and, and maybe more character stuff, um, I think it'll come up that, there are people who get attached. Um, yes. Yeah. So what uh, did you play? Uh, we played We played our game. Uh, Callie was uh, away. Um, she was in Florida visiting her gram. So we played our alternate campaign, which uh, I think I have introduced on the show before. But one of the players in the game that I am DMing for uh offered to dm an alternate game for when we have people missing and so we're doing that and it is he has called it the labyrinth of versath and versath is a uh, scumbag wizard who teleported various people from various realms to traverse through this labyrinth of his creation uh, followed by Wux, his gazer familiar, who acts as like a living video recorder streaming device for the wizard and his friends, while we are tra- uh, traipsing about this labyrinth of misery. Um, <clears throat> and I am so it's so it's loosely based on the old '80s movie Running Man with Richard Dawson and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know. You should check that movie out. Okay. Because it sounds like the gazer is kind of filming you. Film. I'm doing air quotes, which you can't see, obviously. Filming you. Yes. Uh, 
as for this wizard's enjoyment. And that's kind of how that show that's it was a it was your standard 1980s. You know, the world's going to devolve into blood sports. And what was it called? You know, uh, it was called The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Richard Dawson. That's right. your homework. <laughs> we'll see if it's uh, if it's on Netflix or Hulu, I might be able to. Yeah, a lot of the Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff isn't. I had to buy the Conan DVDs. Well, all right. Um, so in that in that campaign, I am playing Osric Varnum, a uh, human oathbreaker paladin, um, and his. Uh, I'm. We talked about it a little bit last week, but I'm playing an evil character. Uh, he's chaotic evil. Um, he, uh, as a kid, always wanted to be like a knight, and him and his childhood friends talked about it, and being a paladin was like being a super knight, so he went to go do that, and he was pretty good at it, and he was away from home, um, which is a small village a couple miles outside of, uh, the city where he trained, and six weeks, uh, that he was away from home, um, training, hasn't seen his family, uh, he, like, swears in to the Paladin Order one morning, and then two days later, uh, the Order is bringing in his mother, father, and younger brother and sister, and, uh, is hanging them all publicly for being, uh, accomplices to witchcraft and dark, dark magics and, uh, smuggling evil things in and out of the city and spreading evil across the countryside um and osric was told to like sit there and watch so he has the haunted one background uh and he is forever scarred by watching his family be hanged by the order who he had learned to love in uh, a short period of time so uh he busted out of the order went back to home um, packed uh, a quick bag of whatever stuff um, his family had, uh, and because he has the haunted one, he's got the monster uh, hunter's pack. Um, so he's got some some interesting things, um, and he grabbed a, a vial of his mother's perfume, which is he wears around his neck um, as a reminder that law and justice don't exist and that the only things that are true are familial love which he will never have again so he has resolved to never love and to enact his justice whatever that means because the law failed him and he is above it and so uh -huh. nobody nobody else in the campaign really likes him because he is cold and frustrated that he got teleported here against his will and confused why nobody else wants to doesn't want to get out as bad as he does um so it's a very combat heavy campaign we knew that from the beginning which i don't have a problem with um but there's not a, a ton of room for character development and i like to do lots of that with my characters so mm -hmm. we'll see we'll see how it goes it is fun it is fun he just might not be the character that i should have made for something like that um but that's that's him. Cool, very cool. Yeah, I we might have to. I know it's later on the list, but I might want to bump up um, episodes about alignment and evil characters 
because I feel like that is you are exceptionally good at that, and I I could use a discussion on that. I tend to play you mostly evil characters nowadays. I know, but you're. I'm doing it in a way where other characters and people are being like, oh, Ostrich's an ass and a dick, and hey, Grouchy, what are you doing? Like, nobody really buys into the fact that he was, like, betrayed and traumatized and has religiously devoted himself to not pursuing... Like not following the law and being a good person anymore. So okay, but but here you're playing fifth edition, right? Okay, fifth and we'll talk. We'll definitely talk about this. Maybe we maybe we this is a good segue to talk about some some of the things about fifth edition, right? Fifth edition is a very, um, I think it's. The aperture is very wide open. I think it's a very broad type of game. And if you have a group of players who want to play 5e and do story and character development, you you can do that. I think the game itself kind of pushes, even though it's very broad, I think everyone kind of falls into the funnel of... Um, going to a challenge-rated combat situation, rolling a bunch of dice, and then having some downtime. So that is... That is what this campaign is, because that, like, it's... That's what your DM has put together, right? Right, and it's his first time DMing. I Like, it's a, it is a good camp. We all knew it was going to be um, combat-focused right from the beginning. Sure. Um, but I think that... Character development is is system agnostic. Like that's something that you can do no matter what. Even if you're just do even like DCC dungeon crawling. Um, I I think there are games where it is much more encouraged, and the mechanics and the structure of the game are are better suited for that style of game. Like Blue Rose, for example, yes. is okay. a huge character development relationship building let's sit around let's let's take tea with the party and our psychic animal friends and talk about you know what happened to us last week and a story from our childhood and that you know you know what i'm saying yeah um, and and like 10 candles is is story is, and character driven like yeah. you make characters collectively as a group so i know that there are systems that are um geared towards that better but i don't think that the system matters if you have a dm that wants to foster that and and i that i agree with if you if you're playing paranoia and you want to have this one clone be different somehow and and the party is into that and the um loyalty officer isn't going to rat you out the first chance she gets, then yeah, you can have that kind of game. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Until your loyalty officer decides she really wants that extra five experience points and she rats you all out and you get mulched. Right. Um, and to be fair, we've, we've done two sessions of this alt game. Um, so there really hasn't 
there have been opportunities to do character development. Um, and I think part of my character is sort of shutting those down. So, like, when we first arrived there, um, I was... I, I didn't ask who anybody else was or really cared about the other people. Um, I asked where to find my things and how to get out and and started going. So, right. I, I don't know. Maybe I've just built the wrong the wrong character. Um, it, but I, I that think happens that too. doing that in 5e is... Uh, it, it's. I don't think the system matters necessarily. No, but I think it's easier to do that in some of these broader style games like 5e or Pathfinder or even Starfinder, like where um, there's less rails, right? And yeah. and that's that's. So do you want to do the what is 5e for folks? We keep saying 5e, 5e, 5e. We, so yeah, we should we should probably um, introduce it really. Yeah, uh, quickly so, here before we keep going. Do you want to so go ahead? Okay. I can't. Well, I can start, um, and then yeah. you can jump in because um, you're the five E fan, and I am not. All right, sure. So sure, so, you give us the good. I'll give us the great. So <laughs> <laughs> I had no bias there at all, is there? <laughs> yeah, um, <no>. So <laughs> fifth edition. When people say five E, they are talking about Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. Um, the game Dungeons and Dragons has been around since 1974. It has on undergone a number of revisions, uh, not specifically linear. So you would think maybe there's five editions of Dungeons and Dragons, but there is one, two, three, four, five, six and a half, maybe. Um, it's a it's kind of a diverse history. We're not gonna. Uh, we're, I'm going to try to avoid talking about previous editions during this podcast. Uh, I'll stick with fifth edition, but fifth edition came out in 2014. Uh, yep. Um, yeah. with the player's handbook and that's, that's how Dungeons and Dragons has been traditionally released. It's a three book set, the for, player's for handbook, core, core books, right? The three core books is There's the player's handbook of books now the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual. So those are the... Th if you have those three books, you can do anything and everything in the world of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Now, like John was saying, there's hundreds of other books, we'll talk about that here in a minute, um, that expand your universe, but those are kind of the core uh, three. If you want to play the game, all you have to do is buy the player's handbook. If um, you want to no. DM the game... You don't. Uh, really yeah false uh so before the player's handbook was published they released uh, a pdf for what are called the basic rules um, so you can look up the you can do D, D fifth edition basic rules pdf um and that came out a couple months before the php and if you if you are curious at all and don't want to spend a dime this is free and published by wizards of the coast um, and has a very, very, very basic introduction to, like, what is the game, what are the races, what are the classes, if you're going to make a character, how do you do that, uh, and how do you kind of go about playing. And they don't have the tables for, uh, you know, equipment and encounters and magic items, and there. I don't think there are any monster stat blocks in the basic rules. Um, 
but but lots of that stuff is also available from tons of different resources for free online as well right um, so if you really just want to like see what it's about and you don't know anything about it um the the basic rules pdf is uh, a fine place to start so wizards of the coast is who are they uh, the company you mentioned... that produces D&D. Okay. Just... <laughs> they are also the company that uh, does Magic the Gathering. Yes. Um, so and you'll, you'll notice that there is <clears throat> some crossover between... Isn't it all the same universe? I don't do Magic, so I don't know. So there is a book, a 5th edition source book for the world where Magic the Gathering takes place. All right, because I've definitely seen stuff on Reddit where people are running campaigns uh, like in Ravnica. And, and that's like, the I've book. Ra- that's that. I couldn't remember the book. It's Rav. That's that's the book. If you get the Ravnica book, you can run a fifth edition game in the world of Magic: The Gathering. Cool yep. beans. And Wizards of the Coast is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hasbro, the toy company. Yeah. All right, so cool. just just to <laughs> fill in, just to because we I, I I'm you're a history I, nerd. We know no, and but I also get this in other <laughs> other places where I do talks and stuff. I'll throw out a company name, and it's like, yeah, yeah, Fantasy Flight. Everybody knows Fantasy Flight, and not, not everybody, everybody knows. knows that Fantasy Flight makes board games because apparently not everybody plays awesome board games. They yeah, will. Once okay. they learn about Fantasy Flight, they'll start playing for it. But anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll get so there. that's that's why I just I just wanted to call those out, like, what's this and, and what's that? and that. So if I keep doing that to you and I get super annoying, John, just yell at me. Okay, can do. Because like, you, you <laughs> normally, normally you'd wave at me on the camera, and I we can't do that today. No, so. that, that, that's okay. Um, so I that's... Yeah, that that's 5e. Uh, yep. It's super popular. Uh, if you are listening to this, there's a high chance that you have heard of it before and or maybe are playing it. Um, some of this stuff might be uh, a little basic. Maybe not. It's all available if you are uh, Google savvy. But this sort of outline of 5e deep dive uh, is going to serve as a template for future systems. And I think the more we go toward the more we go from popular and common to lesser known and uh more uncommon systems maybe more niche systems exotic exotic systems exotic um then we'll we'll be able to use this template and introduce those games to more people hopefully so uh we're going to cover genre the primary die mechanic the canon for the game, the appeal for the game, and other uh, support and extras and bonus stuff. Uh, so D&D 5th Edition, what genre would you say it is? So I'm going to have to go high fantasy. Well, okay. And start, mean, that's... start the discussion off with a disagreement, why don't you? Okay, go ahead. So what do you think it is? Uh, I, I would say it ranges from high to low fantasy. I think that depending on your DM and your setting and where you are playing and sort of what is allowed and what the world is like, you could have a low setting where maybe the wizard in your party is the only magic user in the world, or you could have a high magic setting like many, many are and have wizards and flying carpets and 
dragons and and dungeons and snotty highfalutin elves <laughs> sure um so I, I i think it can be run as any sort of fantasy yeah i i i think historically though it trends towards more towards the high fantasy uh yeah yes so if you if you look yeah, at the modules if you look at the modules and the and the the background material and and some of the bigger adventure paths and even even the different options for players um you're going to see lots of high fantasy tropes yeah i mean it's yes sorry i'm yeah. i'm also thinking of like oh well, older editions of 5e were closer to tolkien inspired stuff so that's like mid fantasy at the best but we're not talking about other systems we're talking about no, 5e we're talking about Five, yeah, I you're was doing the, the same. First one who did it. You did it. I was worried I was going to do it all I night. Know. And and but that's okay. So so yeah, I I think it. You yes, absolutely. You can you can run pretty much any kind of game. That's I mean that's one that we talked about. I talked about this being a broad system. Mm-hmm. Um, you can. There are rules for the gunslinger class. Uh, so if you wanted to have black powder and magic. You could run a, you know, fantasy uh, renaissance or colonial style game with 5e rules. So uh, I, I think by default, it's for me, it's high fantasy uh, unless you're doing some home brewing or some of your own world construction uh, using the the mechanics. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I, yes. I understand what you are saying. <laughs> where, where if you play DCC Lankmar, that is a low fantasy mm-hmm. out the gate. Like there, there is every magician is bad. Potentially, even player character magicians are going to get corruption and and wind up being bad guys eventually. Um, trying to think of other low fantasy. All everything, all the high fantasy games are popping into my head and. Right. Well, like the one ring would be low fantasy, right? Low mid, maybe. No, yeah, because there aren't a lot of wizards. Right. Right. Um. I mean, most but, of DCC is low. There's not really like there are wizards. Even there are wizards. Of Blankmar, um, and there are well, so regular DCC there are wizards and clerics and magic and spells, but it's yeah, but it's I would more still, low. Yeah. I would still call that lower mid. Yeah. Um. You mentioned the gunslinger, and I'm jumping the gun. But when we get to <laughs> I jump in the gun, <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't even try. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when we get down to talking about you know what is and isn't canon, um, we'll circle back to gunslinger. I'm gonna make a note okay. of that. Um. Uh. So primary die system or primary die mechanic for five e. Uh, is the the d20 it's your 20 sided die um i don't yep. yeah i don't want to list like all of the things but that is your attack rolls your spell casting your uh skill checks your saving throws and it, uh, it's mostly a roll roll over roll uh meter beat system right so yes. if your armor class is 12 and i'm going to poke you with the pointy end of my sword i roll my d20 and i'm hoping for a 12 or better right right so it's a it's a roll over 
some kind of number and then whatever the modifiers are, right? So um, you kicked sand in my eyes. It's a minus three because I can't see, but I cast fairy fire on you. So it's a plus two, minus three, plus two. It's a minus one. Roll the dice and see see where they land kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's higher use... equal to for attack rolls, saving throws, ability checks. If it's an ability contest and you tie, um, then it remains a tie for the sake of the contest. And so... Right. Um, it's it's typically meet or beat um and then there are other the the d4 the d6 the d8 the d10 the d12 those are standard seven die set yeah it's your standard seven die set you're going to use those other dice for uh character creation in a lot of times weapon damage will be one of the other dies but the the d20 is the one you're reaching for probably the most at, uh, at least doing. half the time. Yeah, yeah. Definitely more, because if it's half the time and you have to roll it every time you attack, then... Right. Yeah. So you roll for initiative, that's a d20. You roll to attack, that's a d20. Then you roll your d8 for damage. Then you roll a d20 then for... they get a reaction. Yeah. Is a deck save, so you're rolling the deck save. and Yeah. Which yep. is a no, d20. Yep, yep. So yeah, it's a D. When we say D twenty system. There, there's actually something called the D twenty system. It was very popular in the nine, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, it's it's a generic role play system. Um, but fifth, it and so this is not that. It's not pu- the pure D twenty classical system, but it uses the fifth edition twenty sided die. Um, where other games would use, there's a bunch of other mechanics we haven't talked about mechanics, but um, no, because if people want to get into crunchier stuff, then you know the the best way to do that is really to read the book, uh, and then if you have questions, please tweet at us or email us. But well, we we could easily do a math show and talk about probabilities and dice rolling mechanics and maybe like, chances much of success down the road, yeah. but. When when we want to bore the snot out of people, right? When we're really out of ideas, then you'll let me teach a math class. We'll, we'll do the math episode. Okay, we'll do the math episode. <laughs> we'll have Uncle Matt as a guest. That would be fantastic. That would be real. You know, actually, I just spent a little while discouraging that, but that would actually be pretty good. Oh yeah, um, now you think it's a good idea? <laughs> yeah. I, it's, yeah, I don't. Know. I'm excited for guests. So. Okay. Well, so that's yeah. I sold that with a guest, but it's yeah. it's math. All right. Uh, it's really probability, but go ahead. Keep going. Yep. Uh, canon for 5th edition. Oh, so... of your core rule books. So like we were talking about the player handbook, monster manual, dungeon master's guide. And that's... And the setting is Faerun? Do we want to... Do I want to make that bold statement? Yeah, more or less. I think like the canonical setting for 5e is the, the forgot Right? It's the Forgotten Realms, right? Faerun forgotten Realms. The Forgotten yes. Realms. No. Yeah, so that's the the land the yeah the uh, continent of Faerun, uh, where you'll find all of the popular Dungeons and Dragons places like Baldur's Gate and Waterdeep and Neverwinter and, Never and uh, Menzo my favorite city, um, and Chednazad. Although Chednazad is destroyed depending on your timeline. 
right? That's that's in the Bob Salva the R. A. Salvatore books. Miss Falls. That's right. Um, um, yeah, you got all the all of the Sword Coast, all of your uh, sort of ten towns. Yeah, um, Luskin. I keep wanting to say Lankmar, but it was Luskin was the <laughs> town I was looking for. And uh, Gauntle Grim and Mithril Hall, and so yeah, and all, then all da- your then, cool places. Yep, and that's that's kind of from the Bob Salvatore books. And then if you go south, right? So if, there's sorry, a sorry, no. If you're looking for books, uh, either like to read to get, uh, I don't know. It's like reading a D and D story. Uh, but the the author's name on the books is R. A. Salvatore. So I didn't want people to get confused if they're looking for it. Yeah, so R.A. Salvatore is the author. Also, Ed Greenwood is another Forgotten Realms author. Oh. Um, really, if you if you if you Google forgot the Forgotten Realms, um, it's going to take you to uh, Wizards of the Coast is the first hit. It's gonna there's a whole um, Land of Faerun set of web pages. There's beautiful artwork to talk about the. Oh, yeah. The, the places, there's atlases that you can get. There's maps if you love maps um, for Faerun. But uh, so as far as the canon f- for the world, um, the geography is all kind of laid out for you, which is very nice. Uh, and then you can find authors who have written. Oh, Lisa Smedman. Put Lisa Smedman on there, oh, too. Oh, yeah, yep. Um, she's a fabulous author, uh, more drow, right? Mm-hmm. Books, but she, she's fantastic. Um, so outside of just sort of the, the core canon, um, there is also Wizards of the Coast, you know, sponsored, approved, published content from, I don't know if they're partners or employees or what, um, but stuff like Curse of Strahd, where... Yeah. Uh, it's written by uh, it's Weiss and Hickman. Is it uh, no, Nan Nancy Margaret 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 Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Right. Um, and they do and so lots so of fantasy writing for they do lots of different canons. And and Weiss and Hickman introduced um, they wrote Ravenloft, if my memory serves me correctly. Yes. Um, and, and Ravenloft was the inspiration for the Curse of Strahd. Ravenloft was a few editions of D and D ago, it was a module. Um, and then the curse of Strahd, they basically took that module and flushed it out into an entire, um, realm, right? I'll use an MMO term here. Um, so it's it's Barovia is its own zone with several, uh, places to go hang out and do things. Um, there's not many places to hang out, but yeah. Not the kind of place that you go to just hang out. <laughs> I don't know. But our our party spent almost a month goofing around in the town. Well, maybe our DM you go was there to hang out. Super frustrated with the <laughs> level of putzing. Um, but my dwarf cleric had to find a good place to drink, and we tried every tavern in town, and he couldn't find a good place to get beer. <laughs> and then there was a toy maker who we befriended. It was it was the DM's nightmare where. And you've seen these memes. If you haven't seen these <laughs> memes, look, Google them, right? You have this yep. beautiful plot line over here, and all the characters are talking to the cardboard cutout NPC over there, and like three sessions of 
shopping and chatting and and carousing in the bars and their DM was like somebody ate the pie that was on the baker's windowsill we've got to figure all of that out before we go we're gonna help dragon baker right you know there's a vampire who wants you dead yeah he can wait this baker's daughter (laughs) she's got my attention right now it's like she dm's like she doesn't even have a name can you guys just like (laughs) she says thanks but no thanks leave her alone yeah that dwarf pinched me. Guards, arrest this dwarf. And oh, now we got to spend in the next session in jail because I've been, you know, falsely accused of sexual harassment. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Gotta love That's, those sessions. Those sessions, they they can be lots of fun. And sometimes as a d- DM, they can be a little frustrating. Yeah, but as long as everyone's having fun, and and when we say everyone, that means like DM included, you should be right. having fun running the game. But it's maybe it's just me. It's certainly not. Maybe it is less common than I think for a DM to be able to just sit there while the players are having some conversation about something in the world, and and just enjoy the hell out of it. Because I love that stuff, and I have an entirely homebrew world, so maybe it's different. Um, if you are using supplemental content, yeah, but, no, I, I but think it's... like players sitting around being like, Oh no, this God is, is about this. And we've talked to these people and they know these things from this town. And we like just having them be so just having them care that much is, uh, is very cool. And if, yeah, if they're having fun, then I am happy. I am what, what's the, uh, happy as a clam. There you go. All right, so we talked about Forgotten Realms and Faerun and yeah. and some of the other. We didn't get down to Chult and the oh, sure. Tomb of Annihilation, right? But yeah. that's wildly popular. Wildly popular. There's a uh, desert biome, if you will, um, and that's Kalimshan. Yep, Kalimshan. Um, home of Artemis and Treri. Um and the halfling Regis. I, I'm not gonna. No spoilers, right? Yeah, for Bob yeah. Salvatore's books. So, uh, but yes, yeah, so there's a whole atlas. There's a whole map. There's several books. Um, and yeah, re- reading Ed Greenwood or Lisa Smedman or Ari Salvatore um, is just like kind of eavesdropping on a D and D adventure, totally. where you, where you can see inside the players' heads. Right, because you get with with Ari Salvatore, you get to hear what Driss Jordan is thinking. Um, Lisa Smedman, not so much. She doesn't do a lot of introspection. It's more um, act, action oriented and and intrigue. Of course, it's a story about Drow, so you you kind of expect that. Right. Uh, but then Curse of Strahd, again, that's part of that, and then. Um, I see you've got more rule books listed under canon in the show notes, like Xanthar's uh, Guide to Everything. Yeah, or or Volo's Guide to Monsters. Like any of those, like any anything published by Wizards of the Coast, I think is pretty widely accepted as canon. As canon, right? Um, and and like so a lot here's... of that works its way into Adventure League play. And yep, but the beauty of Five E is that you don't have to. Like if if you're a DM and you don't want to deal with samurai, you know you you just want to take that off the table. 
Um, I think my DM is probably wishing he had taken the College of Whispers bard off the table <laughs> uh, because I'm just using it to terrify the crap out of all of his NPCs. Um, you could just, as a DM, say, nope, Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide. That's that's what's available for you player characters. So that's uh, what my uh, that's what my friend did for the uh, alt game that we're playing. There is uh is no homebrew um well it's he he homebrews a little bit of stuff he's not you know a, a homebrew nazi about it um but uh there's no uh under the arcana like playtest stuff for 5e oh we should talk about that a little bit more too um, right. actually while, while we're right here um so yeah. what's unearthed arcana john uh unearthed arcana is the term for unreleased or to be re officially released playtest content from wizards of the coast um just last week they published three new subclasses for uh what was it uh artificer druid and ranger um yeah so the armor for the artificer circle of stars for the druid and fey wanderer for the ranger um Ooh. and so these are uh unofficially released i th i'm pretty sure they label it play test quality or play testable content um and that's like uh subclasses part three uh with armor circle of stars druid and fey wanderer ranger is written by um like the top five names on most of the D D books so okay yeah, it's uh, Ben Patricior, Jeremy Crawford, Adam Lee, uh, Dan Dillon, and F. Wesley Schneider. But everybody knows who Jeremy Crawford is, so. Um, that's Under the Arcana. So my DM said, you know, we're going to stick to base races, base classes, um, you know, PHB, like, not not homebrew official classes like uh, the gunslinger um or the damn fear right so that yes you can run a game like that and uh and have it be okay um canon while we're talking i just mentioned gunslinger again and i wanted to circle back to this uh, yes. earlier um is that there's also uh quite a bit of content uh by matt mercer from Critical Role, who people who play 5e knows who is, um, and stuff like the the Gunslinger. I don't know if it's a. I, I'm fairly sure. I don't know if sponsored is the right word, um, or if it is published or purchased or or what have you by Wizards from Matt. But uh, Gunslinger and uh, Bloodhunter uh, and and some of the other stuff that he has homebrewed has been pretty accepted by the 5e community as being you know relatively canon um maybe not canon but certainly like pretty widely approved in most games right uh so like there's definitely well-known community i see a lot of stuff from matt colville but i haven't explored who he is very much and that's probably like a, a 5e sin or something saying that out loud but yeah. um i don't don't watch a lot of youtube so um so that's the that's sort of the canon of the game 
there are definitely resources out there to learn more to help you immerse yourself in the world um, I've got sitting over in my pile of books uh, the Forgotten Realms campaign setting guide um, pretty sure I got that at the bookery that year that we were out in Ohio probably <clears throat> and uh, that is like a full that's the deep the, the real deep dive into the Forgotten Realms um, so there's definitely resources out there if you want to play around in the world that they have made. After you read that, I, I want I'll loan you my my omnibus of Glorantha, and you can see how they stack up. Uh, is that not the PDF that you sent me? Um, pretty maybe. Sure I have pretty sure I have that. Yeah, but you need you need to experience the. I want to read or, the Fafford and the Gray Mouser. Books, well, you talk about those a lot. I should just Amazon those to you anyway. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, this has got to be some kind of holiday coming up. Some kind of Easter. Easter, yeah. Easter, everybody gets uh, appendix and fantasy novels from Dad. Nice. There's, uh, it's kind of unrelated, but I, I want, I want to read all of those books. They're really, really good. That's that's on my list of things to do, and I, I think it will make me a better DM. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. We can talk about that off. That's that's gonna drag us away from five E because. All right. Yep. You're right. Uh, so let's focus, and we'll move on to the appeal. What five E should appeal to? What kind of people? Everybody. That's the cop-out answer, um, but honestly, everybody. Uh, ah. It is... Oh. So so I, I kind of... I'm trending in that direction. I think I think the, the appeal of the game is that there are plenty of choices. And this... this there might be... There, we might be getting to the point now where there are almost... It's like Pathfinder um, first not, edition not where there are... Where there are thirty classes and twenty six playable races, and right, you it's like okay, I'm gonna be a um, half vampire, half drow, uh, thief, magician, right? So I, I'm going down a, a rabbit hole here, but I think what the big appeal for fifth edition is that. If I if I have this idea of a fantasy trope in my head, right? I, I like I I put together a dwarven pirate gunslinger, and there were rules, right? I had to go to the the homebrew for the gunslinger, but there were rules to put that together, yeah. right? Um, I wanted to do a um, arcane thief bounty hunter. Uh, and I put that together and that sure. was, you know, so, so you can play everything from the vanilla, right? I am a human, uh, sword and board fighter. I'm a halfling thief with dual wielding daggers, right? You're normal, just kind of vanilla yeah. adventure. All, all of your high fantasy tropey tropes, sort right? of stuff. Yeah. And then and but you but then you can sway it, right? And you can play a dwarven gunslinger or a tiefling with which is a half devil, half 
human, right? Um, well, most of those guys wind up a, being a sorcerers paladin. or tiefling paladin, right? So, so it it gives you a wide range of things to play. I think the appeal is, and and where you don't get into the tyranny of choice is that there are sets of rules. So I want to be a tiefling. Okay, I open up the player's handbook, and here's all the stuff I need to know about a tiefling. And then I want to be a paladin. So then I flip to the paladin section. Here's all the stuff I need to be a paladin. So I just put those two things together, and then I have a workable character. Yeah. Uh, so I think part of part you're talking about like ease of access, right? Yes. Like it's easy. Five E is a relatively easy um, system to learn. So like if you honestly you can you can read just the basic rules PDF and and play or run a game. It's not you're not going to know the depths of everything and necessarily have a lot of context for what everything means, but if you are intelligent you can figure that out and and run a game from that um it yeah it, it it's i don't want to say it's lightweight cuz there are lots of skills um and there are sometimes uh you know particularly at later levels where you'll be adding lots of things from different sources um you might that... have things to you know there's not a ton of stuff to keep track of but well, it it depends on so so that's another that's I think another appealing thing about five e or one thing that will appeal to people is that if you want to run a basic sword and board fighter and you don't want to mess around with how many spell slots do I have and have I prayed within twelve hours and do I have bardic inspiration if you don't want to you can just play that class right. Right. I mean, as with any and, like, and if you wanted a more, if you wanted a more complicated scenario, you could take, you could multi-class, and we haven't talked about multi-classing in any of the podcasts yet. But one of the one of the things about Five E is that it has this framework for, yep, I started out in life as a cleric, uh, in devotion to, I'll, I'll go back to my dwarven roots, right, Moradin, and I spent all this time getting to level five and now I've decided that I want to be a druid, right? I'm going to serve Moradin by growing better hops to make better beer. And to do that, I need to study uh, with this lady I found in the woods. And now that character is going to be more complicated to play because they have dwarven spells or elven uh, cleric spells, dwarven traits, and now they're working on a druid build right so the uh, druid spells and yeah and but again and... The, the book has all of that laid out for you so you're not building it from scratch right right um i so i it's i'm gonna go back to uh my oathbreaker paladin osric again um we are currently level two Clo we'll probably hit level three next session um when we get to play the alt game um, but I, I don't know when I'm going to do it. I still have to plan that out. I might do a, a three and one split for when I start. Um, but he's an Oathbreaker Paladin because, uh, per his backstory, which I talked about earlier, uh, after his family being killed and him leaving, he sort of swore away 
like two days prior to all of that he had sworn all of his paladin oaths like i will protect the king i'll protect the king's land i'll protect the king's people um and he's like no screw, screw that the king killed my family uh and so he has broken every oath um so he's gonna go oathbreaker paladin but then i think also because of um like the shock that is resonating through him uh, I'm going to do a level of Barbarian, and eventually, if I take enough, then I'll go um, Path of the Ancestral Guardian, where the the first feature of that is that Spectral Ancestral Warriors appear when you rage, um, and my Spectral Ancestral Warriors are going to be my dead family, and it's going to be very, like, Harry Potter from that one scene in the... Uh, is that the sixth movie or is it the first part of the seventh where he goes to die and his family's all there? Oh, you don't mean you instead of um, at the Goblet of Fire when oh, yes. all of his dead family jumps on Voldemort? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be like that. Ah, except they're not going to be jumping on Voldemort. It's going to be Osric pumping a sword through his gullet. Um, nice. Yeah, sorry, I sidetracked again. I am really interested in that character right now, apparently. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> well, I know why, because it's, it's one of the... You get, I, do, I get the same thing. I get interested in the character, and the, I just can't get him out of my head. Yeah. So, have we talked about what appeals to people? Um, uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, it's easy to learn. Um, it, you, if you have a high fantasy image or character sort of built out in your head um you know you, you did a lord of the rings movie marathon with your friends and you haven't heard of the one ring but you've heard of 5e because you watched stranger things and now you're gonna go try to play a game where you're a dwarf and a human and an elf um it's accessible it's uh, it's very iconic and it's popular um those are some appeals like what, what comes with being popular is also that there is uh, there's lots of resources for it if you don't have the time or the creative energy or the interest in building a world the forgotten realms is an entirely built and fleshed out beautiful setting to play in um and with all well, of the part, other supplements parts of it are beautiful part, and yeah, part, yes. parts of it are above ground <laughs> nice um the dwarf and drow bias really shining through it or, is well it's not because it can't reach underground <laughs> but um it's but um all right so so moving moving down into support when we yeah, talk when we, yeah or so, do you want to keep going to well, appeal? I, I was gonna segue there um, okay go ahead forgotten realms are, are fantastic and there are other uh resources like um salt marsh or sword coast guide or curse of strahd if you want a different setting but all of those different settings and all of the people who are playing it lend to a uh, broad and effective support network um and that area that's my segue into support um, so so when here when i think about support i think um i start thinking third party vendors okay, okay. Sure. um so uh com. yep uh they have and and you've got drive through RPG up there as well. 
Um, but there is also um, um, Cubicle 7. Sorry, I couldn't think of the company. Uh, has the Middle Earth. Oh, right. You mentioned For this. 5e. Um, so it's, it's basically source books. Or so I'm not going to say splat books, but source books for uh, playing in Middle Earth. So all the token stuff. Um, there are Goodman Games has the 5e oh, revivals yeah. of all the really old. So Keep on the Borderlands, um, Isle of Dread, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. We talked about some of these during the module uh show Lots but of them. but you can get there they're they're expensive they're 50 bucks a whack but they're hardcover you get the original ad and module and then you get a fifth a refreshed fifth edition version of the module um which is really really a lot of fun but there is if you learn the fifth the 5e mechanics you can then take that knowledge of the mechanics and how to you know what dice to roll and and what are feats and what are uh, attributes and skills and how those function and take that knowledge to many other genres, even non-fantasy genres. But yeah, yeah, Ver we'll focus genres on and settings. Stuff. Yeah. So yeah. while you're talking about third-party stuff, I'm gonna plug our unofficial sponsor, uh, Red Hoodie Games. Uh, you can go on over to Red Hoodie Games the number five dot wordpress dot com for uh, bi-weekly content to be used in your home tabletop games. Uh, so we do this show <clears throat> every other week, and in the in-between weeks, uh, I write a piece for Red Hoodie. Uh, and that could be anything from a character concept to uh, 1D12 situations that your players might find themselves in if they stay out late in the city streets. Um, to uh well i i don't, I don't even want to limit it because it might eventually be everything um last week following the episode of set the table uh five on world building and homebrew uh per a patreon request i did a game master musing on world building so if last week's uh if last episode didn't scratch your world building itch quite enough um, head on over to redhoodiegames5.wordpress.com and check out the latest blog post, which will give you another dose of world-building commentary, suggestions, um, and, and how to make your game, how to, how to take it from good to great. So that's our little mid-show plug. Um, back to support for 5e. So we talked about third-party stuff, right? Mm -hmm. There are also more Wizards of the Coast content. So um, while the game is easy to play, sometimes it's easy to be overwhelmed. Like, again, when you get to those higher levels and I've got many spells that I could cast and I'm not sure which ones I have, you're like, I'm fairly good about checking stuff off. You know, okay, I've, I've used a spell slot. Sometimes players... They, they, you know, they fudge a little bit and you, you've only got three for one 
first level spell slots. Right. How many how many sorcerer points have you used since your yeah. last long rest? Like, uh, I don't think I've used any. I haven't marked any off on my paper. No, it's like, you, you just used, cast magic missile twice, you bastard. Yep, you used three for that twin spell. You used six for that other thing. Like you've got to have like three to five left. <clears throat> so, um, they do make decks of cards. So if you're playing a cleric. You can go to your friendly local game store and buy the Cleric Spell Deck, and it's a deck of all the spell cards that a cleric can cast. So you, then you can have a... So if you're a kinesthetic person, if you need to have something in your hand to remind you of things, you can have those decks of cards. Um, and they have them for all of the various classes. Um, and it's help, it's especially helpful if you're playing a class that you don't normally play, right? Totally. Uh, in one of our games, our person who was typecast as the rogue for many, many, many characters decided to branch out and be a ranger, and um, they played their ranger like a rogue. I mean, so, you can play rangers like rogues. You, you can, but... Um, if you range DPS, there's, and I don't oh. play a ranger, so I'm, I'm, and, and I'm, I, this is not, I'm not criticizing how another player played their character. Okay. So that's not what's happening here. Um, I'm not, I'm not upset with this person. Uh, I love playing with them and, and that's, that's not what this is about. Um, this is why these cards are useful is that had this person had those cards in their hand, then they would have said, oh yeah, I, here's, I'm going to put down Hunter's Mark and now I'm going to put down this and now I'm going to, and it would have been a kinesthetic kind of, here are the things I can do uh, versus I've got this sheet in front of me with a ton of check marks and numbers and I know what the rogue sheet looks like and I know what, how to, you know, how to roll, do for it. Stealth, roll for <clears throat> stealth, sneak, backstab, triple damage, poison, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But, in playing that new class, these cards can really help you remember that you have these abilities and when to use them and if you've used them or not kind of thing. So they're also, it's also like, I don't know, like pretty and collectible stuff. It's like dice, right? Once you start buying stuff for tabletop role-playing games, you're boned. Yeah. It, <laughs> it never stops. Never stops. But that, yeah, spell card decks, miniatures. So they're Wizards of the Coast and other miniature. I mean, we could probably have a whole show on miniatures. Um, but sure. there's there are miniatures that you can get each class, each race and class combination that makes sense. There's a miniature for. Um, I don't know if there is a dwarf druid. Um, there probably is. I'm gonna, Now I'm going to have to Google and look for dwarf druid. Uh, yeah, no, go go ahead, do that, because I am I am curious, and I'm looking for something as well that I will share after we get the results of yours. Um, uh, yep. Yep, you found it. Yep. Oh, okay. cleric. So I found cleric. Yep, Stonehaven dwarf druid miniature, um, for twenty eight millimeter tabletop. Nice. Um, yep. Twelve dollars. It's a lady. Uh, she's wearing, uh, deer antler armors. She's barefoot. She's got a big stick. Um, yep. so oh, I... I'm sorry, it's a male druid. Oh, no, there's a lady with a fox, too. So there's a female with a fox, 
and there's a male with a big shillelagh. Nice. Um, so while you were looking for that, I was curious because I know uh, I notice I, I'm subscribed to a whole bunch of subreddits, but I notice that there is quite a bit of overlap between D and D and and you know fantasy role playing uh, stuff and 3D printing. So I okay. hopped over to Thingiverse, which is a popular site for getting models for 3D printing. And there is a dwarf druid miniature on there as well. You can... Oh, go ahead. So the thing I was going to say is if you can't find one, you can go to Hero Forge and make one. Yeah. Yep. Hero Forge. That's what I was, I was going to... That was my next thing. Yep. Um, which is, is a, it's, I don't know, Hero Forge is also fun to play around with if you are, like, not sure what you want your character to look like, but you want to play around with it. Um, Hero Forge is just fun. Yes. That's, it's so easy to just waste time on Hero Forge. It's not a waste, but, man, oh man. No, it's not a waste, but, yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of Hero Forge miniatures all queued up. Ready to go for when Ready. I eventually like get my 3D printer. If I ever play a... If I ever play a Naga Paladin. All right. If I ever play a Varger Spacer... Vargers are the dog people in Traveler. Okay. Yeah, I, you lost me there. Or the Aslantians. <laughs> the Aslantians are the lion-faced people in Traveler. I, I they, wonder where they got that from. I don't know... Okay, so that was our support, right? Tons of stuff, dice. Oh, uh, uh, before we, before we uh, move on, yes, I, I think that this would be support as well. Um, but we mentioned uh, lots of books for the canon, but I, I think that there are, I I would call other fantasy books support for a fantasy role-play game where... And maybe not, but, like, other fantasy media, right? So other books, yeah. like the, the Dragonlance series, also by Weiss and Hickman, um, or the, the Lord of the Rings movies, or... Uh, the old Dragon Slayer movie, the Dragon Heart movie with Sean Connery as the voice of the dragon. Yeah. Uh, um, Beastmaster, the old, I just watched, was just watching the Conan, Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan movies. I got those on Blu-ray the other sure. day. Maybe, uh, maybe like, and, and not even necessarily just fantasy stuff. Uh, Aragon, it's a good series for some inspiration. Um, yeah. But, but even like, like Harry Potter or, uh, Star Trek, like just getting ideas for tabletop role-playing games. Yep. And you can always take, you and you can take a plot from a movie like you know i'll tell you i'll i'll pick one of my favorite movies casablanca okay oh man you and suck. <laughs> what do you mean i suck no no no, no. sorry I didn't, I didn't say you suck I, I you you started to say casa you had said uh i don't know a movie um and i had thought of one and you had said cuh and i would I thought for a second maybe we were going in the same direction, and you said Casablanca, and I was going to say Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, 
No, yeah. So, <laughs> that would make a hilarious D and D movie. That, or that D and D section. D and D campaign. Yeah, but you, I mean, either one, right? Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, or uh, right, the party is in a bar and their lost love walks in with the new husband, or you are the lost love who walks in with your new husband, or you're the husband and now. You know, you you have a party, and one of the party members has this weird connection with the bartender that you, you don't know about, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. You you totally. you don't have to use. I mean, that that would be a fabulous. It's a fabulous story, and then you can use that plot and put it into a fantasy setting. Right, like people always say, like, oh, don't fix what isn't broke. I that I shouldn't have even. I don't like that saying. I shouldn't have even brought it up, but I did. People say like, don't fix it if it isn't broken. But if that happened, then we wouldn't be on the fourth coming on the fifth PlayStation. Like, right. Um, we but, wouldn't be on fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Right, right. Like, AD and D wasn't broken. Like, three point five was nope. All right. <laughs> no three. So so, and and we'll get we're gonna get down to this pretty soon when we start to talk about what we don't love. Because right, I'm the I'm the where you the have a bias against Paizo, shun the non-believer. I'm yes, shun, shun me because I am the non-believer. I <laughs> five. I play five e almost every week, and it's a good system, but it's not a great system. We so, already covered that distinction at the beginning. I was going to talk about the great things. Right. <laughs> you you I, can talk I, I about the great is. things. So, so that's what I see. What's coming up next, right? Is the what do you love? So, what do you love about Five E? Um. So, so part of it is the you know the popularity, the willingness to learn, the willingness to play uh, as a DM, because I I think that that is most of the lens that we have talked about thus far on the show. Like all of the all of this is within the context of of being a DM at the table, not necessarily sure. being a player. Um. So. So as as a DM, it is, and I, I see these questions online a lot. Like, how do I get my players to to role play more? Like, how do I get them to be more engaged with the game? And I think with with something like Five E, you don't have to try all that hard to get your players engaged with the game. Like, people kind of know what it is. Uh, most people have heard of Dungeons and Dragons at some point. And if you are looking to play and you look up like, oh, what what are, what are should I buy? Everyone's going to point you towards 5th edition because that's the latest and greatest. Um, and It's the most popular. Yes, yeah. So uh, if you sit down to a table to play D&D 5e with everyone, there is an energy about that that is like, oh, we all know what we're getting ourselves into and this is great. Um, the first time that I played 10 candles was last Thanksgiving and we sat down at the table and I had skimmed the, the rule book, uh, and the, the GM for that had read it. Um, and then two other players at the table out of, um, seven, I think we had seven or eight. doesn't matter. Um, maybe half of the, less than half of the table had read the book. Um, and the other half were sort of newer or beginner level tabletop RPGers. So it wasn't the same, you sit down and everybody knows what them, they're getting themselves into, 
it's you sit down and people kind of have questions and are uncertain and the energy is just different right so so because 5e is so popular it's really easy to have players who are energetic and interested in what is about to happen um that's that's probably like the first thing as a dm that you notice playing 5e with people when you start to realize like hey this is really good um it's that everyone at the table is like hey this is going to be really good uh so that's one thing okay um, mechanically uh i i, I don't want to dig too deep into the mechanics of it but uh i'm i'm a big fan of some of the additions to 5e like uh, advantage and disadvantage so we talked about it earlier where most of your rolls are with a, a 20-sided die, a d20. So if you are uh, if you are a rogue going to attack a, a troll and you are going to run at the troll from the front and do an attack, that's fine. But if you are the rogue who sneaks around and you're sitting in a bush in the jungle and when the troll walks by, you're going to lash out and surprise him and stab him in the back, uh, you gain advantage for that situation. So if you'd roll a d20, uh, with advantage, you roll two d20s, and you take the higher of the two results. So you get a 3 and an 11, you take the 11. Um, disadvantage is basically the opposite of that, where uh, you are trying to climb a rope. Uh, a rope. You are crossing a rope bridge over a, a deep gorge, and the rope bridge snapped, and you have fallen, uh, and the rope bridge didn't snap. It was cut from the other side, and so you've fallen down quite a ways, but you managed to hold on, and you're going to try to climb up the rope. Uh, it would be an athletics check, and uh, just as you start to climb, it begins to rain and thunder and storm, and uh, there, there's wind blowing, and the rope is wet, so you're going to make that athletics check with disadvantage. Um, and so I think it is a cool way to make that make situations um, easier or more difficult without being as arbitrary about it as you have had to be in the past. So like in 3.5, you could assign little bonuses and modifiers to things, right? So uh, you got some, I didn't ever play a rogue in 3.5, so I don't know what the sneak attack bonus was. But you would get a bonus to hit if you were hidden, um, which is basically what advantage is, except that bonus to hit, for rogues it was consistent, I'm pretty sure. But as the DM, if somebody's climbing that rope bridge in a storm after it has snapped, you have to impose, in 3.5, you'd have to impose some sort of negative modifier to that, right? So you could just increase the DC in your mind, or... You could say like, oh, you have, you know, leave the DC normal and tell the player like, oh, you got a minus four on this. But then next time when the weather is bad and you're trying to use grappling hooks to climb ropes to get into a keep, now it's only a minus three. So it's harder to keep track of those bonuses. Um, okay. And so I, I think advantage and disadvantage gives the, the DM a little bit more of a fair tool for dealing with those things and makes it easier for the players to understand like oh this is good or this is easy or i'm good at this or the situation lends itself to success here or or this is challenging and and 
more difficult than it normally would be. Exactly. Yeah. And okay. I, I think advantage disadvantage is a, uh, it, it's a clear and fair indicator to the players about how things are going. And it's something that they can ask for that doesn't feel sketchy. So like mm-hmm. if you were going to ask, Hey, can I get a plus two on this? Can I get a plus five on this? It's like, hey, do I have advantage because this the the barkeep likes me and I'm fighting somebody in her tavern and the guards come? Can she back me up? Yeah, totally. Like, yep. Um, so no, yes, I get that. Uh, advantage disadvantage is mm-hmm. is a really great tool for the DM. Um, I like uh, the inspiration mechanic, which is a sort of optional mechanic that you can play a, a couple different ways. Um, I think the the rules as written inspiration is. Um, when a player at your table does something that enhances the immersion or the situation or the role play of the game, the DM can grant them inspiration, and they would be able to roll anything that they any any check or any time they roll a d20. Basically, um, they could, after rolling it, choose to gain advantage on that check using their inspiration. Um, uh, I'm, now is that different than bardic inspiration yes uh yes and so, so bardic inspiration um the bard sings a song or paints them a picture or whatever the bardic art is um it's usually music but tells a joke sure yeah a comedy bard oh, that's a good idea um uh bardic inspiration is they get a die that they can use on an uh, attack roll saving throw or ability check um that powers up as the bard powers up so a level one bard has a a d6 uh, inspiration die so if they inspire your ranger your ranger can gain uh, a d6 plus their d20 to hit that faraway goblin and i sucked you into talking (laughs) about rules mechanics didn't i yeah it's okay I'm not not gonna linger on it very much. Okay. Um, I'm listening to Roll Twenty now, which I've mentioned before, and the way uh, Matt Mercer does inspiration is he gives a D6, um, and that player can add a D6 to a roll. Um, so I I think that that's something that I'm gonna integrate. I'm gonna try to do inspiration differently, um, and maybe do a, a combination of those two because my players never. I don't know if it's that they don't remember that they have it or they just choose not to use it. Maybe I'm not giving them enough dire situations where they feel they need it. But I think half of my group has DM's inspiration for one thing or another. Um, and things that you can give DM inspiration out. I, ha- I have two examples that shine so bright in my imagination. Um, uh, one is when Katrana, uh, Callie's half-elf druid, um, they were on a boat. We're on a boat. She had so. Oh man, I don't know. It was a great story. I'm, not, I'm gonna speed through it because I don't want to get too hung up on my wonderful narratives. But um, she was exploring a lake where the party knows that there's an artifact. She's a druid, uh, so she wild shapes into an octopus. She's a druid, and it's magic, so you can exist anywhere. But there's no octopi in freshwater lakes, so. She swims down, finds this mermaid village, um, pokes around there for a little bit, and then starts to swim out deeper into the lake towards where they believe this treasure to be. And 
Callie is a new role player, so she wasn't like, oh, I'm stealth while I'm doing this. So she's just an octopus deep miles away from shore in the lake and gets skewered by a marrow spear. Um, and then she fights it a little bit underwater, uh, gets knocked out. Um, as her eyes are fading to black, she can see behind the marrow uh, a group of a few mermaids with tridents. The mermaids end up saving her because they followed her because she was an octopus in a freshwater lake and that was weird. And so the party goes out on a boat and interacts with the mermaids to get her back and decides to keep exploring for this artifact that they believe to be there. And so they are uh, going out on the boat when five marrow pop out of the water and start to attack them. And one of the marrow's abilities are that they throw a harpoon and can pull you 20 feet in a direction. And it was a pretty small boat, and so lots of the people were near edges and got yanked into the water. Um, after Katrana was pulled up onto the boat and was healed uh, by the bard... Um, oh, how did it go? Uh, the She got uh, pulled into the water by the marrow and managed to... Uh, the bard threw a rope, got her back in the boat, healed her a little bit, and then it was Katrana's turn. So I was like, all right, all right, Katrana, what do you want to do? And Callie says, oh, I'm cowering in fear at the bottom of the boat with PTSD. Like, I was killed by... I fought one of these things, like, 60 feet underwater... It was way deeper than that. It was like 200 feet underwater. And it, it killed me before, and I just got pulled into the water with them again. So I am in the fetal position, like, shaking, trying to be okay. I was like, are you sure that's what, like, what, what you want to use your turn for? <laughs> and everyone around the table was like, no, you should do things. And she was like, nope, I'm, I'm traumatized. And I was like, all right, DM inspiration. That's awesome. Like, role-playing, psychological problems... I, that, I think that that is wonderful when people get that deep into character. Um, I have a second example. I, I don't know if you wanted to say anything. I, I don't have one, but okay. how are we doing on time? <clears throat> We're all right. This is weird because I can't, I don't see the video, so I don't. Oh, right. Uh, we are at an hour and 18 minutes. Okay. So we're, we got, you know, we got time. Um, you're you're just gonna soak up all the time before we get to the things we don't like. So I have like three seconds. No, you'll we, we're not on a time crunch as much as we used to be. So okay, we need to go a, a little over an hour and a half. That's okay. Um, okay. The other story that is very very clear is when uh when they got back from that boat expedition. No, it was the day before Katrana went out into the lake. Um. The, the party had a dwarf barbarian uh, kind of blood rager. I let him mix a little bit of stuff over from Pathfinder. Um, and he was playing with a hermit crab on the beach in front of the manor of the woman that they were seeing at this lakeside town. Um, and so the next session, Connie, the bard, played by my friend James, he has a, a, a poem or song that he wrote for Clue being like playing with the shell. And it was this adorable thing and he was the bard. So he kind of sung song it to the group. Um, and that's another like, boom, DM inspiration. Like that's awesome. You have brought 
a sense of realism to the table, and it's it's very cool to be able to reward that. Um, and you could do that in any system, I guess. It's not exclusive to 5e, uh, but this was the first system that introduced that, to me at least, so um, big fan of that. Uh, other stuff that I love real quick is that it is pretty easy to learn. Um, I've used it in, in professional employment before, so I've run groups for um, uh, youth receiving social support from the state. Uh, I've run it from youth in uh, mental health inst uh, institutions uh, who are receiving community mental health supports. Um, it's, it's easy enough for people to grasp if I put the character sheet, you know, I have pre-gen character sheets I use for stuff like that, and if I put a sheet in front of six different people, we can sort of go around and answer everybody's questions, and everybody sort of knows what's going on, how to play, and what the stuff on their sheet means in like 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so that's, that's pretty good. Uh, and then we talked about support a lot, but if there are ever questions or disagreements at the table, um, the golden rule of any tabletop RPG is that the DM or GM's word is basically the word of God, um, and, <clears throat> and what they say goes. However, sometimes it is fun to try to figure out how it would actually work according to the rules, and given that D&D is, is so popular and so widespread, there are lots of, hey, can you use Mold Earth to do this? Can you use Mage Hand to do that? Um, and, and if, if you're really lucky with your issue, um, there are tweets from Jeremy Crawford posted on, on several different places online, um, that basically can be treated like they were written in one of the books. Like if, if Crawford says it, that's the way it is. Um, so, so those are a couple, couple things that I really, really like about 5e. What don't you like about it? Well, and so we should have done the don't like first. Uh, no, <laughs> sour, no, I sour taste you, in you didn't even, mouth. You didn't even ask me what I like about it. Well, it's all right. Sorry. What, what do you like? I didn't expect you to have things. So, so <laughs> I again, I don't hate Five E. Um, one of the things is I kind of like playing. Um. The more exotic games, mm -hmm. right? So, Definitely. the the more mainstream Five E becomes, the less um, attractive it is for me personally. Yeah, no, I hear that. I I thought that too a little bit when it started to get really popular with Critical Role and Stranger Things, bringing it like very yeah. very strongly to the mainstream. I was like, oh no, now everybody and their mom's gonna be playing it. It's not going to be cool anymore. Like, right. Lousy casuals ruining my MMO, right? I know, I know. I'm that terrible. Kind of, that I'm kind gonna... of mentality. So, so um, it I'm... is, but but I it is mainstream. So if you want to play a game, you can sit down. And again, it's accessible. People understand it. You can play it. Uh, there are rules for lots of situations that, you don't have to do a lot of thinking or creating. You can just go, okay, what's the rule on that? Um, right. That's a double-edged sword. We'll we'll talk more about that when we get to the things you don't like. Um, I am really enamored with portions of the canon, right? So. Oh, you totally um, are. Uh, 
Mr. You know, owns it, every freaking book. Uh, I don't own every book. I the new hardback isn't out in paperback yet, so I'm missing the la the the latest edition of the Drist book. But yeah, Drow Elves, fabulous. Um, the uh, and that again. So so these are kind of they're double. A lot of these are the reasons I love Five E are also some of the reasons I think that Five E can be a challenging game to play. Well, okay. okay, that's that's all right. Bullet points. So we'll, we'll do pros and cons of each point. How about so, that? So, so as far as so let's so one of the things there's a there's lots of rules in Five E. Um, well, there's less rules in Five E than there were in Three Point Five. For that's instance. true. Yep, there's less rules in Five E than there are in Pathfinder, um, Pathfinder First Edition, but. I think one of the problems I have with the rules is that they can be dense. And if you have different players with different knowledge levels, uh, that can create um, hmm. situations where um, a player doesn't think to ask for an opportunity of attack. Yes. Right? Yeah. So there's this rule in 5e if you're engaged with a target and you're in melee range and you're punching the crap out of each other and the person you're punching or stabbing or clobbering with your mace whatever decides to turn around and go someplace else they're going to walk away from you right you get this thing called an opportunity of attack or you're Whoa. standing in the hallway and the goblins done fight tries to run away and they run within your melee range, you even if though it's not your turn. So it's it's not it's only when they leave. It's only you only get a, an attack of opportunity when they enter if you have a feat or ability that lets you do that. Okay. Typically well, it's I just play, when they leave. I, I, my so cavalier usually gets locked down and that gives him all oh, sorts of yep. like oh, you're within melee range? Stop. Yep, that's one. <laughs> It's it's hilarious. So that's you you so disparity in knowledge between players is a negative for you. So I think if there's disparity in player in player knowledge level, the amount of rules can become challenging. Like one player has kind of we talked a little bit about metagaming, but one player has this idea of how they're going to play their character and. They, they've got all of their rules kind of worked out. And you've got another player who's more uh, method actor, character development. They get into a combat situation and, okay, roll for initiative. Okay, roll for for um, that ability. Okay, now what what are you going to do on your turn kind of thing? Um, and they and they... You know, they attack, but they don't know that they can move after they attack. Or right, they don't or, know that they have a bonus action. Or they don't know the difference, right? They don't know the difference between a free action, a bonus action, and a movement and a main action. Um, and again, right? I just how many of those actions? What do we just talk about? Free actions, bonus actions, free bonus, main, main action, move, and move. And but th those are four things. And when, do, what order do you do them in? And how many do you have? Or you choose one of each, unless otherwise stated by a ability or feature. Yes, but how long have you been playing? Um, yeah, yeah, right. A a while, not quite since launch, but right. You know. But but so yeah, I mean, again, and if we go back to the support, like if you had cards or you had some of the third party 
add-ons, you can help those players kind of bridge that gap. But I think having rules for lots of stuff is cool, but it can also be something that I, when we get those dis- disparate player knowledges, that's one of the things I, I don't like about the game. Sure. It doesn't um, doesn't necessarily handle that well. So Everyone, I kind of like that because like especially if I'm running a group for new people, I yep. like having somebody else there who does have that knowledge who can sort of help out. Yeah. Um and having somebody there who's asking like, "Hey, do I get advantage for this? Do is this a disadvantage? Can I use this thing now?" encourages other people to know that it's okay to ask questions even if you're asking can i have advantage every turn it's like don't do that (laughs) but but right at least you learn that engaging is okay um and i like having somebody at the table who can model that besides me because even though it's not supposed to feel like players versus dm especially for new players that's just how they make that distinction in their head human beings so often want to create an us and a them so having somebody there to sort of break that down really helps at least at least okay. new players and new dms i think so the the amount of canon is also both a, a double-edged sword sure um right Should have formatted this section differently that's all right that's okay um so right as you point out, if there is a dark elf involved in a published work from Wizards of the Coast, it is probably on my bookshelf or <laughs> in my Kindle. Probably. So or like 99.9%. <laughs> right. So I have an affinity for the dark elves. I, I don't know why. I just think they're fantastic. Actually, one of my very first... I, probably my third D&D character ever was a dark elf cavalier who was chaotic good. And this is before R.A. Salvatore wrote his books, right? This is 1980. You did it before it was cool. Five, right? Um, And, right, he had rejected the matriarchy. He was a little bit more violent than than Drisk um, and a little less introspective. Uh, he was, you know, I was in high school, so he was, uh, looking to have some concubines and, and take back his pride from being, um, mistreated by females and lots (laughs) of other, lots of other adolescent stuff going on back then. But, and now you're married to what is essentially a matron mother, matron mother. We all, all obey the matron mother of house Skoda. Uh, so so uh we, we so, get it you're into elves and, and drow elves yeah uh but if Anything when i play with ground huh other characters like so we we're again i'm playing in a game um and someone saw and, the art of the drow elves and said oh that's cool you know dark elves i'll, I'll be one uh and so we're role-playing and i'm a dark elf male and they're a dark elf female um uh, so, uh, and, and people are not nice to us cause we're on the surface and I understand why people aren't nice to us. And the other characters like, why is that shopkeeper like trying to rip us off? And it's like, cause there's their Iblith. And she goes, 
what's that? It's like, that's the drow word for, uh, offal for, for butcher scraps for garbage. Like they're, they're surfacers. We hate them. And she's like, I don't hate surface people. It's like, um, so you're a drow. <laughs> Your backstory is that you're from this city, well, which is and, and so, but but that's that's e- even again, then the player has the choice over what their character is. Yes, yes. I know, I know. It's really hard because you are it, so immersed in the dark elf it is, fantasy. It, is, it but, again, but like, so it would be like a dwarf who doesn't like beer. Right, but that hat, like, you could do that and no, make super interesting characters. They, they, they can, but the, but the, yes, yes, but that's again. This is one of those reasons why sometimes fifth edition playing five E is a struggle for me, mm. because right, I, I, I don't have a Dale Reckoning calendar, but I have an idea of when things happened on the timeline. Right, Chednazad is destroyed. Menzo Baranzon is ruled by Quenethel Bainra. Like there, there are things that have happened. Right, Jarlaxle is in. Um, uh, he's he's the power in Luskin. Uh, right there, if you read the the storybooks, like there are all these things that are kind of happening, and and certain things make sense, and then certain things seem weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's hard when you've spent like hours reading and learning about that world and then someone comes along and says oh but mine's not that exactly right. or yeah we're, we're in, not playing we're in, in that year like it, yeah, it, we're we're in narnia and we're happy the white witch has made it snow because we love to ski we love cross-country skiing so we're not sure why everyone's mad at the white witch it's like really <laughs> Right, like if you're gonna play in a canon, you kind of need for other people at the table to buy into that canon. Sure, and I, I think that's one of the problems with D and D. And and again, this isn't—I don't hate the game, Not but problem, it, but disadvantage. It's right? a disadvantage, right? It's it's one of those things that makes the game a little bit more challenging. Is that it is so mainstream, and lots of people are coming to it, and there's a different level of investing in the canon right and and believe me i do not like going into a friendly local game store and picking up a book and having like the comic book guy from the simpsons go right oh you don't want to play the necron army in 40k because they have this disadvantage and they their dice probability is blah 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 right and (laughs) they're reading you the riot act why the book you're you have in your hand sucks and you're like don't you want me to buy this? Silent. <laughs> no, no. And it's not, it's usually not the people behind the counter It's usually the other shoppers, oh, but it's like, yeah. look, man, Necrons are silent, soling, soulless killing machines from billions of years in the past. What's not to love. <laughs> oh no. Cause they're terrible to play. They're a ra- lousy army and you know, you need no talent to paint them. It's like, dude, right, you so you, me. I, I could be a think, shitty painter. <laughs> you're think you want the fluff and they want the crunch. Right. You know, so you got to have people that sort of sort of align for those things sure so so that's that's the and then um i'm trying to think of another i mean it's no i think that's that's we talked about a little bit uh uh, in last episode when i was talking about like why i homebrew right part of it is to get away from all of that canon that everybody already knows 
And I, I spent a little while talking about loves, like, oh, no, it's really cool that everyone knows what they're getting themselves into and gets excited for it. But I don't know that I meant canon. I think I meant, you know, mechanically, experience-wise, because I, mm -hmm. you know, my canon is entirely original. It's my entire own world. And, sure. um, you know, I, I did that in part so that players couldn't sit down to the table and be like, okay, I'm a dark elf. Um uh, true neutral and I hate surfacers it's like well hold on now because under elves in my realm do this 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 and this and they don't right. hate surfacers they're mostly anti elf kind because they were left to die after they've begun to explore down like I have a whole history for them but right uh, so, I, I like that the players couldn't couldn't necessarily do that without asking questions about the world um so i i'm gonna the other thing i don't like this this so so one of the things i don't like is that the game mechanics and some of like they use vancy and magic and we can talk about magic systems in another show but it's yeah, basically what, what does that you, mean Van, so jack vance is an author he created a number of fantasy novels and the original magic system in dungeons and dragons is based on that fantasy setting where I memorize a spell, and the moment I cast it, it l leaves my memory. Right, so that's oh, that's okay. why you that's have spell that's slots. why you have spell slots, and that's why you prepare spells. Um, Today and I they learned they stay in your mind until you cast them, and then you have to go back to your spell book or your scroll or however you acquire your spells and and memorize them again. Um, a lot of the cool things your character can do have a cooldown to to borrow a video game uh, yeah. terminology so you get the five minute work day yes okay yep. so that. the and we talked a little bit about that but mechanically fifth edition is and and i see it in the show notes here it's geared toward the murder hobo um the party gets together. <laughs> the notes they, say heroic fantasy monster slaying. Yeah, yeah, that, that's I, I, that guy over there has something we need, or we've been him. told to to get rid of that that troop of goblins. We're gonna go over there, beat the crap out of them, uh, take their stuff, and then, okay, so you. Started from the village at sunrise. Well, let's call that 7 a.m. We'll make the math easy, right? Uh, it takes you two hours to walk into the forest. It takes you another hour to find the goblins. Uh, the combat takes about three minutes. It's five minutes after 10. You Or let's say it takes you 20 minutes to rifle through everybody's crap, right? So you're looking at, what, 1030-ish? Um, wow. We'd like a long rest. It's like bullshit. No, you, you, you. It's not even lunchtime. <laughs> right. You yeah, know. Yeah, and that that's so, that's often a, a DM thing too, right? So I we've kind of restructured the section, but I, that's you dislike it because it creates that right uh, the pattern the the way the mechanics and some of the, the rules are written, it creates this pattern where I blow all of my, you know, I second wind and I cast a bunch of spells and I 
uh, do my bardic inspiration. Like everybody has these things that happen and then they all reset at a long rest. And, and, and sometimes I think that's appropriate as a DM. If it, you know, it's, it's 10 AM they're in the first cave and they just get the shit kicked out of them. Right. The goblins just beat the snot out of them. It's a really tough fight. And I think about that. It's like, man, sure. if, if you have a really tough event, right. Sporting event or, boxing like i used to do karate when i was younger and if you had a really tough fight like yeah I, i'm done for the for, for this karate lesson like <laughs> right, I, right I, like 30 I'm, seconds of getting punched in the face is a lot is is a lot right you know my nose is bleeding and and no you know i'm gonna sit the next couple sparring rounds out um and and yeah there were a couple of nights where you know i got i got kicked someplace or i got thrown and my shoulder hurt and i just you know i'm gonna do some stretches and call it a night and yeah. and right so but that's that, that's so, sort of where you get the short rest in there too right so the long rest and the short rest but the distinction but the the mechanics again kind of push you to that you know five minute work day we we go we do the one we we have that first encounter we blow all of our cool abilities and then we like so you just need to be a dm that doesn't create that sort of scenario necessarily right like you're you can also you can you know rules is written you can only take rests when it is relatively safe to do so so sure. theoretically you're in a dungeon the dm could just rule it's you know it's not safe to take a rest like you can you can set a watch and You'll get woken up by patrolling goblins every four out, you know, two or three hours. Um, so, like, sure, you gain the benefits of a long rest, like you, you've, you know, been out of combat long enough to gain your your spells and hit points, but you also suffer a level of exhaustion because you didn't really get rest. Right. Um. So, like, there are ways to to make that not happen and i don't want a blanket statement like oh if that is happening it's the dm's fault but no I because this like i said some of the situations are you know that was a really that was our first go round, and it was a really tough fight we had no clue right. the goblins were going to be so you know Might what would you normally rules. do it's like Yep, we're gonna we're gonna pick up and we're gonna go back to town. We're gonna lick our wounds. We might try to find better weapons. Maybe we'll hire some retainers and you know, get some meat shields out in front of us, and then try it again. Sure. Um, but that's kind of yeah. So that's that's one of the things I I don't. Other systems have better ways of handling that. Um, mechanically, where five e kind of still has that five you know ten minute workday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, idea. So. So. Yeah. I, that's no, that, that's fair. I. I. I am aware of that concept, so I actively work against it. Um. But if you were a newer DM and you were like, I, I don't know what to do. Like my players have spent all of their spell slots and they've done all of their actions and, um, you know, it's they woke up to a dragon landing in the town and they killed. Like, what do, what do I do? Like, I can't just let them sleep. Like you could, but. There are, you know, that's that's DM so skill, they, right? You, right? You have scenarios, and, and you can come up with different things. Like, oh, that you know, if a dragon lands in the middle of the town and you defeat that, the rest of the day is spent, you know, harvesting 
collecting. Maybe people will come to research the dragon. Like, it's kind of downtime. Right. The villagers might come out and thank you for kicking the crap out of the dragon. Right, and or feasting and celebrating. and Or you might help look for survivors inside the... Like, the dragon probably broke a bunch of buildings. You may spend the rest of the day looking for survivors or helping the townsfolk or putting out a fire. Um, yeah. None of that requires spell slots or 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 that kind of stuff. Right. So I, I think for that you have to be comfortable with creating like the role playing scenarios. And right. one thing that I don't love about Five E is like like we said in the show notes, it says that it's often geared towards heroic fantasy monster slaying. Um, murder hobo <laughs> murder hoboing <laughs> sure um and and mechanically systematically it can be a little bit harder to adapt to more rp heavy non-violence oriented campaigns and adventures whereas something like like you mentioned blue rose and i mentioned 10 candles earlier like those are more rp heavy systems so 5e is harder to it's harder to feel successful doing that necessarily because you're not rolling all the dice and adding all the numbers which lots of people like yeah um, i think what one of the other challenging things i find with 5e is the um and th this is more of a set session zero uh issue but the reason for the party to be a party and a lot of times that feels forced. Um, so, again, this it, it is a session zero thing, and I also yep. think it is a uh, it's that that's a pretty heavy DM thing, where like you can have everybody, you can do the tavern start right. I, yep. First and foremost, I don't want to disparage people from doing that because that's how people meet in real life is at the bar and that's how adventuring parties meet in lots of um you know contemporary media i guess so i don't want to disparage the tavern start but i think that is pretty solely up to the dm and to the players backstories where if potentially players want to be siblings well now we know why those players have met or maybe your party met over the course of a period of time that the DM is going to sort of describe how that had happened before. Um, so, yeah, that's I, I, definitely a DM issue, but yeah, I but, don't think it's a 5e issue. Well, so 5e, again, 5e has this broad menu of race-class combinations, right? And some races and classes uh, are counter- productive right they don't work well together yeah um, well and and, and they, they but can that, right but it's backstory dependent it's backstory dependent and it's it's player canon knowledge dependent and a bunch of there's a lot of variables there right right and a dwarf I, druid is certainly uncommon right and a dwarf druid hanging out with a drow ranger um chaotic evil drow ranger would be very weird and there'd be need to be some kind of reason for that and and your party and your dm session zero you could work out why that is there are other game systems that help you resolve that why is the party a party cleaner than 5e that's that's all i'm saying 
Sure, right. Sure. I'm not saying, oh yeah, five E sucks because you throw these random people together in a bar and then they have to go kick the crap out of some goblins. No, I, I know. That's that's yes, that can happen in five E, and you can have a tremendous fun time doing that. But a lot of five E adventures, they start off and it's like, okay, you're in a bar. It's it's like the old Ale's wife video on YouTube, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, there's an elf in front of you. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> oh, you can talk to each other now. It's like, what's going on? Um, Hello. Where, where in the One Ring, for example, there is there is a fellow. There's a whole set of rules about fellowship and how to build the the party's called a fellowship, right? Fellowship of the Ring, and there's rules and mechanics around it. And in Glorantha, RuneQuest Glorantha, you role play traditionally as a tribe. So you you are all player characters of a same tribe and more often than not related. Okay. Um, and you you are going on this this quest for a specific spiritual or or mythic uh it's very, very mythical. Um Call of Cthulhu uh, handles that. You're a random smattering of people by throwing you into some kind of, you know, tentacled monster master. You know, this guy in the diner. This guy in the diner late at night opens up this book, and oh my gosh, right, this thing is weird. Thing is happening, and right. you're thrown together based on the situation. Um, so you can you, do all of those things in five. So yeah, you can do I, all I of those things back. in five e. But it's not part of the mechanics of 5e. Does that I, make sense? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I'm gonna. If you are looking for a 5e solution to the tavern start, there is a 1d12 places to start an adventure besides a tavern post up at the Red Hoodie Games blog, which I will put a link to um, in the description of this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's pretty good. Have you seen that? Have you read that yet? I have not. I'll go. I'll take. I'll check it out after this. Okay. Um. Man, I feel like we kind of, kind of got to not not a negative note, but some critiques there at the end, which are good because a lot of those were, uh, like you said, sort of double-edged swords, where it really depends on like how the DM uses it. So I feel like sure. for a new DM, it would be helpful to know those things so that you can start to. Um, get ahead of them before they become something that you grow not to like about it. Sure. And, and, and not, yeah, I mean, five, five is a, is a good game, right? It is totally, it, it's very, it's very solid. Super popular. It wouldn't be as, if it was a bad game <laughs> and people did not have fun playing it, right. It, it would not be as popular. Right. Um, I, I can't think of a bad game that people keep playing for no good reason. Monopoly. Yes, and it's again, it's just popular. Well, see, it's no, just, that's that's a game that's bad that's popular. Yeah, but I think people play Monopoly because everybody knows how to play Monopoly. And it's more about the people and the experience that you have than the system, anyway. So, like, if yeah. you've got good people, you can play Five E or Pathfinder or Call of Cthulhu or whatever, and still have a good time. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really. I'm trying to rack my brain for a terrible role play game, like one one that I would tell people like, uh, I wouldn't don't. play that. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm just I'm not. I mean, yeah, if you gave me a choice between playing 
5e and dcc i'd probably pick dcc so for me that just depends on who i'm playing with like uh, and that well am that, I playing that's 5e that's... or dcc with my group because my group would have a better time with 5e with but 5e like if, if i'm down at at your house and we're sitting around with with callie and, and maddie and whoever like dcc yeah, I'll, I'll play DCC, no problem yeah. right that's quick it's easy we can get it on the table it makes sense there's tape like yeah we don't we don't really care about the characters. That's the, I, I, and that's that's actually one yep. of the things about Five E. I think that is, again, another one of those double-edged swords. This will be the last one. Make it count. Okay, <laughs> is that you can get really invested in your character, or you can just play a throwaway. And yeah. if you again, it it's that disparity between a couple of the. People at the table are super invested in their character. They've written long backstories. They've got lots of um, things they want to accomplish with this character. And I'm playing the bard who's looking to score with chicks. Right. And if he gets killed in a bar fight, whoop-de-doo, I'll roll nice. a cleric healer because, you know, we don't have a healer. Or I'll roll the bard up. It was, you know, it was it was his brother who returned to pick up his loot after he heard of his death. Like Right. Yeah. So so I, I think, and, and I guess balance, the, the the key to all of these, this is the word that's coming to me right at the end, right? Perfect. Right. Is is balance. The If you have balance at the table between people's knowledge of the game, love of the canon, investment with the character, um, if you have balance or complementary... Like like you were saying, one person's really excited about it and gets other people excited about it. That's good. Yeah. But if you just have folks that are like, yeah, whatever, you know, if 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 this character dies, I'll just roll another one, and I can't I can't let this person die. <laughs> like, right. Totally. I, I, I have I that at my table. I haven't achieved my my social spiritual goal for this character, and if they die, then it'll be unresolved forever, kind of thing. So, so that's. That's kind of where I'm at with 5e. 5e, um, again, like I said at the very opening, is very broad and lots of stuff can happen. Um, and that can create these disparities, um, this disparate skill level or disparate uh, canon knowledge or disparate interest. Right. Sure. And that, yeah. And that, it's, that can happen. Again, I think that's a, a system agnostic issue. Um, I, I think it's really others. Just how the system. DM handles it. Uh, I think other systems address different means and methods to handle some of that stuff. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I think five five E is kind of generic. Yeah, and it's it's kind of supposed to be, right? Right. Like, yep. Yeah. It's approachable and generic, and 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 it's 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 again, it's it's good. Yeah. So I um I want to mention real quick, real quick just because you had ta talking about disparate levels at the table. Um, I've got uh, a player at the table who... Uh, Katrana, Callie's character, uh, when she was killed by the marrow, I did not have the mermaid saving her thought out ahead of time, but I had just given her a magic item. It's her first time playing like a longer TTRPG. I really didn't want to kill her character, and she cried when it happened so i really didn't want it to be permanent so like players will do that and then i've got j 
James playing Connie the Bard, who's like, uh, yeah, I don't know, Connie might die. I don't, it could happen. Like, maybe he'll take a level in Paladin. Maybe if this person dies, he'll retire and I'll play some. Like, he, he's got all of these ideas about how his character is going to, you know, be remembered and carry on when he's gone. Um, but I, I don't know. I really like that as a DM because it keeps it all fresh and interesting and different people want different levels of attention for roleplay and for combat at the table. Um, so much of it comes down to, to the DM for me. And that's, you know, I'm, I, hopefully that stuff in this has been helpful to help you run See, and games. With a group like that, I would vent, I would vector you towards 7th C. All right. Well, our next deep dive will be on 7th C then. Uh, okay. Figured that out. Don't know when we'll get to it. Maybe we'll do them like every sixth episode. Odd six. I don't know. Every, yeah. <laughs> but we uh we have to wrap this one up. Um, it is uh we're getting pretty pushing two hours here. Um, I mean we we could sit here and talk about this all night. So. <laughs> I want to have dinner. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. So uh, thank you for tuning in. This has been Set the Table, Episode 6, in which Jack and I took a bit of a deep dive into D&D 5th Edition. Um, if you would like to ask a question, make a comment on the show, uh, feel free to do so through whatever review, comment, through however platform you are watching. Um, feel free to tweet at us. Uh, I am at jmscota5 uh, on Twitter, or you can tweet at Red Hoodie Games. our... Uh, wonderful producers um you can also shoot us an email at jmscoda52 at gmail.com um if you want to ask a question and have us answer it on the show um otherwise i will provide the link for 1d12 uh, places to start an adventure besides the tavern uh, available at redhoodygames5.wordpress.com and if you want to support the show any more than checking out the content uh, please head on over to patreon.com slash Skoda. That's S-K-O-D-A. Uh, and anything that you can do to support us is fantastic. Uh, so thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. Good day.